You're listening to Questionable Material with Jack and Brian, a mostly improvised podcast produced in New York by Jack Helmuth and Brian Sack. QMPodcast.com. Hey, Brian. Hi, Jack. It's just, I don't know why you ruin podcasts seconds into them. I don't know. It's just really disappointing. Let's try it again. Okay. All right. So we're going to edit that out? Yep. Okay. Hey, Brian. Hi, Jack. Why would, what, what about that do you think is better? I feel bad for the old part that we just cut out. (laughs) So you're just mourning sort of like a, a cat that's been put down. It's like, you know, it didn't get a good start in life. And then here we are. We turned around and just like, oh, you're no good. You know, you're worthless. It's like, it's like you're know, getting rid of the, the kid, you know, instead of working with him and growing him into a better opening. Right. Sad. Putting him up for adoption. Okay. Well, at least, at least we're, ad- so, so maybe we can give that opening to Andrew Heaton instead of just aborting it. Yeah. I think I, I might, I might try to give that to Andrew Heaton. So, you know, Brian, we have breaking news that we have to get to. I'm not even going to ask you how you're doing because I don't care at the moment. We have, yes, that's, that's the, the breaking, breaking news. news thing. It's really good. Thank you. It's really good. How much did we pay for that? That, uh, I, well, it's licensed by the month. So it's $38.95 a month. <sighs> Seems steep. And I also have this one. <laughs> so it's like, you know, if you need applause. Yeah. Or do 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 like a breaking news thing. I'm your man. Now, and how much, how much did the uh, applause thing go for? Well, the applause is by the clap. <laughs> that was so a lot. Okay. Yeah. That was $23 right there. Yikes. Just to play that, just that in that very second. Yeah. Well, there was a lot of clap. There was, there were, there were 12 people. One of them is missing a hand. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So at least we're platforming uh, differently abled people. I don't want to be ableist. I've been accused of being ableist. Mm-hmm. I even didn't know what it meant. And I still, I, I've been working hard to make it not be true. How are some of the ways that you, Brian Sack, we've screwed the breaking news. What are some of the ways that you, Brian Sack, yes. in your life, in your strange life, are working to be more um, aware of your ableism? Well, uh, there's a lot of, lot of ways. Like, for example, Jack. Mm-hmm. A, a lot of sailors have an ear horn. Yeah. Okay. You know, it's a big can of compressed ear and a little cone shaped thing and you press it. It makes a horrific noise. Yes. That if anybody stops me in traffic, like just stop oil people and blocks of traffic, I'll walk right up to them and do that right in their face. Make them rethink the, their priorities. Okay. How does that fit into the ableism uh, situation? Well, I was having a wonderful day with my friends on their sailboat. Okay. And I saw someone in a different sailboat hold up their little horn thing and they blasted it and it made a terrible noise. But my first thought, because I'm not ableist, was that, well, deaf people cannot hear that. So how are they going to know there's danger? That's right. And so- I came up with a solution. Okay. Every can of ear horn Mm -hmm. comes with a monkey that has a flare. (laughs) And the monkey is trained. And the monkey's not deaf. And when the monkey hears the ear horn, it scares the (laughs) bejesus out of him. And he shoots the flare. 
Now, he, okay, yeah, go ahead. If you're blind, you hear the horn. If you're deaf, you see a monkey shooting a flare. You know something's amiss. I mean, it makes sense. There's no other circumstance that I can think of where someone could confuse a monkey shooting a flare for something else. You'd have, you'd be on a boat, motorized or a sailboat, and you'd look over, you'd see another gentleman sailor uh, blowing a horn and a monkey pulling a flare. You know something is going on. Maybe you need to divert course. Now, what happens with, with, so the monkey comes in a, like in a box with a, a pistol. I mean, like walk me through that it's up to the moment where the, the monkey shoots the flare. Now the pistol's on the outside of the box. Okay. Cause I learned uh, the first couple of go rounds that the monkey will use the pistol inside the box. Doesn't end well for the box, the monkey or the boat. Right. <laughs> so the flare is on the outside of the box. The box has holes for the mm -hmm. monkey to breathe cause it's a mammal. Needs to breathe. Yep. Learn that lesson. So <laughs> you have the monkey, you have your horn. Mm -hmm. At the moment you're going to blow that horn, you just unlatch the, the monkey compartment, the box. Mm -hmm. Monkey comes out. He's eager to get out. He likes getting out. Yeah, I imagine. He's been trained to know where the flare gun is. And okay. he's going to just pop that thing in the air and fire it as soon as he hears your ear horn. And then everybody's happy except... Helen Keller. <laughs> well, yeah, she's, she's just going to die. There's nothing I can do. I've, I thought about it. It's extremely difficult. Yeah. Well, all right. So, uh, you know, going back to sort of your field testing of this, you said that you had um, some monkeys without the air holes uh, situation. Like what, what happened on that day? Well, uh, in one particular instance, a boat mm -hmm. was headed towards an iceberg. Oh my God. And the gentleman in charge, the lookout, wanted to blow the air horn. Yeah. And let everybody know what was happening. A perfect time to do it. A perfect time to do it. So he pulls out his air horn and he unlatches the monkey box and the monkey did not spring out. <laughs> and so he opened up the box. He saw the desiccated monkey and he was traumatized. He fell down on his knees and he dropped the air horn. He did not blow the air horn. Oh, and the ship did not know to divert itself from course. <laughs> and the rest is history. So like, what did he, I mean, did he try to use the monkey corpse to alert someone or anything? You know, like. He was a bit uh, of a, he was a vegetarian for one. So he took this death very hard. <laughs> and so he was a, he was a, a bit in tears, but you know, it was short lived because he was short lived. <laughs> Now, and, and what about, because see, my fear, if I'm investing in this company or if I'm one of your lawyers, is uh, training a monkey to use a flare gun. I mean, like, how does it always go up in the air? Like, did you have any issues with field testing this? Uh, we were practicing at our training ground in Ohio, <laughs> and there was a train passing by, and the monkey was a little startled and fired at the train. <laughs> He just, he, the monkey just picked up a flare gun and fired it at a, at like at an Amtrak or a cargo train or something. It was a cargo train and I hadn't even authorized the, the pulling of the ear horn. And so it was a bit of a shambles, but you know, he's no longer in that position to make that kind of faulty decision. Oh, he was, um, he was reassigned. He's uh, at a testing facility for monkey pox. <laughs> That's, well, you taught him a lesson.
He was demoted. Me- okay, yeah. Did other members of the monkey community sort of get that message? Yeah, they really might. They stepped up after that. And there's, you can see it's up only. They fire all those flares straight up in the air and only when I pull the ear horn. That's really good. What happened to the train, by the way? Uh, it had a bunch of chemicals in it. <laughs> Made a bit of a mess, bit of a stink. Uh-huh. Um, I blamed it on infrastructure. <laughs> uh, this is a deep cut. I like it. <laughs> For all you Buttigieg fans out there, this is some good comedy for you. All three of them. (laughs) Well, dang, Brian, I can see now that you've described your work. Oh, and by the way, what what is this product called? Because um, what's it called? Is it on shelves? You know, uh, can you tell us about the product? Blow Monkey. (laughs) (laughs) Now, do you ever get some people buying that and returning it? upset that it doesn't do uh, what it says on the box. Uh, yes. As a matter of fact, we had a gentleman come into the store. Uh, he had <laughs> you have bought, a brick and mortar. Yes. Yeah. A blow monkey house. Okay. Go on. And this gentleman came in uh, quite irate. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was all trembling with anger or withdrawal. I'm not quite sure. <laughs> but he said, this is not what I expected. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, I want my money back. And I said, well, we have a no uh, refunds policy. And he said, do you know who my dad is? And I looked at him and I recognized him from the crack photos. And I said, yes, sir, here's your money. That's, that's great. But you've also uh, amazingly transitioned into our breaking news story. What? What's yes. the breaking news? There has been cocaine found at the White House. Cocaine has been found at the White House. And Brian, yeah, yeah, yeah. But you, I know, um, you know, are are deep inside the Biden White House. So I thought mm-hmm. you'd be the perfect person to ask about this. Yeah, I do a lot of work there. I have clearance. <sighs> That's amazing. And so obviously this is Hunter Biden's cocaine, right? Is that That's obviously what this is? That's what everybody thinks. That's the funny thing. Oh, what, what, what is that? Does that mean it's someone else? It is. Yeah. It's not Hunter's, uh, Hunter's not even really much of a Coke man anymore. He's more of a fentanyl meth kind of person. Okay. Uh, no, this, this actually belongs to, uh, the president. What? Yeah. That's qu- so president, but wait, that can't be true. It is. Uh, well, first of all, it's why his secret service nickname is Joe Blow. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. I'm getting closer to believing you. Go on. And uh, what we found was this powder, this magical, magical powder. Yeah. Uh, gives the president the ability to stay focused, to stay awake, to assemble sentences. Uh, and so it's incredibly helpful for a gentleman who is technically one of the most powerful people on the planet to be able to function like a normal human being. So uh, what we've done is we've made the the White House uh, what we call it a BOZ. <laughs> okay, I don't know what that is. It's a it's a blow only zone, and it means <laughs> it it is uh, it is basically uh, not it does not have to adhere to the laws of the land. It's kind of like a neutral territory where the so, drug on war or the war on drug uh, does not uh, uh, apply. So it's sort of international waters for cocaine users. Just there. Yes. Just in the, in the uh, White House territory and on Air Force One at all times. 
That's interesting. So, well, okay. So let's, uh, I know, <laughs> I know you have privileged access to um, President Biden's itinerary and, and, and what he's been working on. I mean, I, I'm wondering if we can see any sort of change in, in some of the things that he's advocating for. Like he's still actually proposing, he started proposing new legislation last night around eight 30 <laughs> and he's still going at it. No kidding. And you know, a lot of it maybe doesn't make sense, but there are some gems in there. You figure you got to go back and kind of pick out the the really good ones to focus on. Mm -hmm. uh, but this is a whole new dynamic. And imagine a state of the union speech that is seven hours long. <laughs> Uh, yeah, but in other words, a Bill Clinton State of the Union. Yeah, and just clapping and clapping and clapping and so much clapping. He's clapping, the audience is clapping, everybody's clapping because, you know, on that night, the blow only zone is extended to the Capitol Hill. Oh, that's great. <laughs> that's, that's really great. So Marjorie Taylor Greene is shouting liar like a lot more often. She's, she's, I mean, yeah, if you think she's animated now, she's like, she's going to be mega animated and just really, you know, the, the initial incoherence has just ramped up to like 900. There's wow. so much energy behind it. She's just running around up and down the halls of Congress going, you grow Nazis, you grow Nazis, you grow Nazis, and just shaking her fists. Oh boy. It sounds entertaining. So you said, you know, the president- since about 8.30 last night, it's currently 6 o'clock p.m. So the president's been uh, coming up with new legislation for the last 21 and a half hours or so. Yep. Um, and you said there's some gems, but that also must mean there are some, some, uh, some oddities. What are, what are some of the odd things that he's come up with in this state? Um, well, he's, he's against food. <laughs> okay. He's, he's been on a whole bent. You don't need it. Don't need it. We don't need it as a country. We could save a lot of money if we don't do food. Oh, it's weird. And it's granted, you know, he's lost four and a half pounds in the last week. <laughs> it's a combination of running around and not sleeping and not eating. Right. Uh, but, you know, it, it's got potential. And, and there is some, I, you know, there was some kind of uh, backing for the idea that maybe we have too much food. We don't need as much food. <sighs> okay. I, I guess that makes sense. And uh, he... When you texted me earlier, you said that he's the president's coming up with some real wackadoo uh, ideas to sort of over to sort of circumvent the Supreme Court's ruling uh, against the student uh, debt payoffs that he's coming up with some really wacky ideas. Can you share some of those? Yes. Uh, right now, he's been getting his best policy people in a room and saying, what's the best way we can circumvent this using hot chicks? <laughs> Hot, I'm sorry, hot chicks? Hot chicks, that's his word. <laughs> okay. And I'll be honest, you know, these are very smart people. They're having a hard time coming up with a way that hot chicks can get around this this SCOTUS ruling. What, what's, the, what's the most credible one that's been come up with thus far using hot chicks? Show us your boobs. <laughs> the president just screams that at, at hot chicks? No, that, that actually, oh. that actually was Karine Jean-Pierre. <laughs> I'd buy that. There's a lot of people on Coke right now at the White House, Jack. I guess so. And so the idea would just be <laughs> to scream this at hot chicks. And how is that going to help get a uh, student debt relief? That's the main stumbling block. And that is, <laughs> that is what, you know, Katanji Brown needs to. To kind of really, you know, work out. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, it's that that is a problem. Yeah, and they'll be the first to admit it. Uh, has anyone asked Katanji Brown uh, what is a chick? Uh, yes, and she continues to not know. That's odd. She does this little thing where she just kind of shrugs her shoulders and looks away. Huh. Man, even on Coke, that's her reaction? Uh, yeah, and, and it's just, it's more energetic. <laughs> okay, okay, okay. Um, all right, so what? Uh, uh, how is this affecting the president's um, uh, interactions and relationships with uh, Dr. Jill Biden? Uh, well, you know, Dr. Biden uh, is uh, against it because mm. she's like, as a doctor, I have to be against that drug and for all the other ones. That makes sense. And then she pats her little purse and goes, do you know what I mean? <laughs> okay. Yeah, I guess that would make sense. Now, how, okay. So that's, that's on the policy side. It, you know, is there anything that, um, uh, that she's finding difficult about Joe's behavior uh, on cocaine. Is it, how is it affecting their personal lives? Well, um, there is, I mean, it's an embarrassing thing and it's something like, you know, his mystery grandchild that we don't really want to talk about. Mm -hmm. uh, but it is, you know, cocaine does have side effects. Uh, and yeah. of course uh, it's almost, it's almost as if God was playing games with us because cocaine, you know, makes you incredibly a randy as the English say, yeah, uh, but it it uh, does not really help you get an erection. Oh yeah, I've <laughs> I've heard about that. And so Dr. Jill has been quite upset that Love Night has not happened for the last couple of weeks. Oh no. Yep, that's her favorite night of the week. It's every Thursday. <laughs> okay. It's in the <laughs> president's daily schedule, but it's just called uh, LN. Uh huh. But it's Love Night. And that's it's, uh, that's great. Yeah, they they pop in a movie. Mm -hmm. and uh, open a bottle of wine. Yep. And they get about 10 minutes into the movie. Uh-huh. And then it's nighty nights. <laughs> but okay. But certainly, uh, certainly they must start those early enough on at times. Can you sort of walk us through? Um, I mean, this is incredibly intimate and I, I don't mean to put you on the spot and embarrass you, but mm. can you walk us through uh, like a, a, a lovemaking session? How, how did, how did the president and doctor, Jill Biden um, make love? Uh, well, I mean, it's it's a pre-cocaine. It was a pretty standard affair where mm -hmm. uh, she would introduce herself. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and he would nod knowingly. And, and most of the times it seems like he understood that. <laughs> they were in a marital relationship. Okay, that's big. And then, you know, she will uh, she will place her hand on his leg. Mm -hmm. And he would say, may I place my hand? There's a lot of asking for permission here. Mm -hmm. And then we get down to the, <clears throat> eventually, you know, they are uh, unclothed, as we say. Okay. Sure. And and that's when the intimacy can begin. Okay. Uh, and so what, the, what Dr. Biden does is she puts on an audio recording of her husband talking about corn pop. <laughs> And uh, which gives him an instant erection uh -huh. for reasons we don't know. Really odd. Uh, and then uh, he plays Donna Summers on the radio. <laughs> on the radio? Yes. So they, 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 they just go at it. They'll, they'll make love to Donna Summers? They, not to her, but to the tune of on the radio. I see. Right. 
Also, there's a very good chance his heart's going to explode. So get ready for President Harris. <laughs> Woohoo! Hey, Brian. Hi, Jack. So I-, I wanted to talk about one of your favorite people of all time. And I, I don't know if this is enough, uh, if there's going to be enough content here for a whole bit, but, you know, let's let's see where this goes. Um, another breaking news story today. Yeah. Is that your man, your mayor, Bill de Blasio. Yes. And his wife, uh, Shirley-Ann, Shirley-Ann, Shirlene, who knows? Shirlene McRae are separating, but not divorcing. And they will date other people. Yeah. They're poly. They're polyamorous. That's great. And they're going to live in the same townhouse. Yeah. The same spot in Park Slope, Brooklyn. Because what's dreamier than living with your ex in a townhouse and dating other people? Now, it should be pointed out that uh, the mayor's wife, the former mayor's wife, uh, has has been and always has been a lesbian. Yes. That's that's not part of the bit. She's an actual lesbian. Yes. And so... (laughs) I knew this. Mayor de Blasio has said uh, in the past that he wondered if this was a bit of a ticking time bomb uh, for, for, for their for their marriage. He's that smart. He really is. <laughs> I wonder if being married to a lesbian isn't going to pay off someday. Here's his quote. There was a part of me that would say at times, hmm, is this like a time bomb ticking? Is this something that you're going to regret later on? <laughs> And that's why we have a city in peril because we put him in charge for eight years. My God. So, okay. So he, this woman, I I can't even wrap my brain around the story. I I, I don't even know, man. Do you have any thoughts on, on, on this? Why did he marry her? I mean, you're close to the de Blasio's. You, you, you dine there a couple of times a week. Yep. What, 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 what happened? What is this all about? Um, why, why did they, okay, let's start here. Why did they get married in the first place? Uh, this giant six foot eight, uh, weird man and this, um, uh, tiny black lesbian. Bill is all about reparations. <laughs> the hot, hot button topic in the news these days. It is. And, uh, he, you know, he wanted to get ahead of the curve. So uh, he basically said to his friends, he's like, you know what? I I can't think of a better way to make up for historical crimes Mm -hmm. than to marry a black lesbian. (laughs) That's, that's, that's a weird policy choice. And so the, you know, I don't know how, if you know the story of how they met. No, I don't. It's so funny. But uh, she was actually uh, walking in the Greenwich village. Okay. Uh, headed towards uh, the Cubby Hole, which is a, a famous lesbian bar. Okay. And he uh, swung by on a moped, pulled up next to her and said, I'm sorry about slavery, <laughs> grabbed her, threw her on the back of the moped, and then drove to City Hall. Oh. Where they were married in a very quick ceremony uh, by a woman who could barely speak English. <laughs> Just like my wedding. Well, yeah, but in your case, it was the wife who could barely speak English. Uh, the woman uh, who I uh, who married us uh, said, "Chumanel kiss the brain." Oh my gosh! That was that was when I when I was told I could kiss the brain. 
Okay. That feels like a Saturday Night Live character. Yeah. Well, it was, it was pretty damn close. Uh, okay. So, so he, so he basically kidnaps this woman and what was there, uh, just again for, for reparations. Well, cause he just felt bad. And, and he considers marriage to himself as, as the gift that, um, that will undo 250 years of, of historical wrongs. Well, uh, he does have a highly inflated opinion of himself. If you recall, he ran for president 10 minutes into his uh, mayor, mayoral uh, job. Yes. I'm one of the five people who remembers that he ran for president. Yes, exactly. So, you know, he does, he does feel like he brings a lot to the table Mm -hmm. and he does bring a lot to the table because the table has to be extra high (laughs) to seat that monstrosity. Right. Which is ironic when Mayor Bloomberg comes over for dinner. That's right. He's actually thought the table was a house. He's like, this is a nice shelter you have here. Uh (laughs) It's like to him, it's one of those uh, arches underneath the Brooklyn Bridge. Well, when when de Blasio stepped into Gracie Mansion where the mayor lives and Bloomberg had vacated and de Blasio kept saying, what's that step stool in the middle of the dining room? What was it? It was Bloomberg's dining room table. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Short. It's cool. It's cool. very short. It's cool having an insider on the show. Yeah, no, it's, you know, I, I like to share those stories there. It's important to, you know, otherwise they're just lost. Um, I want to talk about another uh, news story that was out today. And that is um, uh, the Budweiser, uh, you know, the beer Budweiser. I'm familiar with Budweiser. Yeah. So uh, they have um, they came out with a Fourth of July commercial, thirty uh, second ad that features members of the United States Armed Forces discussing educational scholarship programs like uh, the Folds of Honor. And in the ad, it says Budweiser has believed in Folds of Honor for thirteen years. Today, we honor our veterans and the forty four thousand scholarships awarded to their families. Mm. Um, service never stops, and n- neither will we. And they've Budweiser has caught a lot of flack for this that yeah. they're just sort of trying to suck up now to, uh, you know, the, to, peop- yeah, to the people ahead. who drink their product. Yeah, that's exactly right. That's exactly right. And uh, now you you're with the ad company that um, is helping Budweiser try to rehabilitate their image. You're working yes. with them. Yes, I am. So how, how is that going? And what other ways? Because that's such a, a naked, obvious pandering. But I'm sort of curious, what other ways is Budweiser going to try and rehabilitate their image to their sort of their typical audience? Yeah, that, you know, that wasn't our intention. We were really trying to appear, uh, you know, just pro-America like like we, you know, we always have been. And uh, hmm. But it did come across as kind of brown nosy and, you know, oh, please forget about the the mincing twit mm-hmm. kind of thing. And, and mm-hmm. you know, and they are genuinely sorry about that. Uh-huh. Uh, so, you know, they're going to try to make up for it, uh, but with a different ad campaign that kind of reemphasizes what, what the Budweiser brand is all about. Oh, that's fascinating. I mean, I, I hate to ask, but would you mind sort of giving us a look into the, the new ad that's going to help do that? Yeah. So, uh, there's one, um, you'll see it's nighttime and you see a bar and it says flakies <laughs> and it's got a pride flag. Hanging. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then you just see a brick sailing from off camera <laughs> through the window of Flakey's. And then uh-huh. it cuts to these two gentlemen in a pickup truck with cowboy hats. And they clink their Budweiser's together in the uh-huh. car and then drive <laughs> off. 
And what, what comes up on the screen? We're sorry. <laughs> Wait a minute. So the point of that ad, I know there are a number of ads that you guys are producing, but the point of that ad is to show <laughs> hateful destruction of property as, as an, uh, an apology. They're trying to win back a lot of the folks they lost. Uh-huh. But here's the trick. The two guys in the pickup truck and the cowboy hats. Yeah. Broke back mountain. Good God. What? Yeah. A lot of messages here, Jack. Very strange because I, I, you know, I'm not a big fan of cancel culture. I do think it's real and I do think it's problematic, but like that ad is homophobic. Like that's not a cool ad that vandalizing flakies. And that's exactly what happens. Then they, the one of them says, I feel so bad about what we just done. Haas. And Haas says, I can't quit you either. And then they start kissing. And then, then what comes up on the screen? Hmm. Like it? Question mark. Kind of like got milk. But it's about kissing cowboys. Jack, oh, man. Yeah. They just want to, they want to go back to the olden days and just appeal to everybody. <laughs> They're really sorry. <laughs> I get it, but they, it feels like they they have felt very all over the place. And now this is really, really bringing it home for me. You know, there's a, there's a lot of, I'll be honest, there's a lot of scrambling in these creative meetings to, to come up with some way to win back that, that market share and reopen two of the brewing facilities that were, were shuttered. Yeah, no, absolutely. And there was there was a, a new commercial and entire ad campaign that um, that you specifically pitched. Uh, would you mind sort of telling us about that campaign and commercial and, and how it was received within the um, Anheuser-Busch boardroom? Yep. <laughs> so. You just see a hill. OK. All right. and, and a dust cloud. Mm. And something's coming over the hill. What is it? Mm hmm. Oh, it's cowboys. <laughs> more cowboys. Coming, okay. More cowboys coming over the hill. <laughs> but this is different because they're all naked, <laughs> except for the hats. Okay. So they look really imposing. Uh-huh. And they're naked. Yeah. And they're riding right at the camera. <laughs> okay. And the lesson there is naked cowboys can be hot. Mm-hmm. Love it or leave it. <laughs> We're so out of ideas. It's really hard, Jack, to win people over. That's really, it's really scattershot. And that was your idea? Yeah. <sighs> well, I'm glad, I'm glad you know it's not good. It's, you know, the problem is I came out of a meeting at the White House and I was just, you know, <laughs> up to my nose. I was in a BOZ. Yeah, BOZs are tough. They definitely enhance the creative process, but it goes all over the place. You think it's a great idea, and then you know you sober up, and you're like, "What was I thinking?" Now it's not just commercials and stuff. Uh, you know, Budweiser, you know, sort of famously, I guess, last week at a Pride parade in Toronto, had um, uh, sponsored a float with, I, I, I don't know, some sort of gay themed thing, which perfectly within their right to to sponsor, but they got flack for that. So it's all over the place. So it's not just commercials. What other ways is, you know, sporting events, parades, that sort of thing. What other ways is Budweiser, you know, again, trying to reach out and, um, 
and reestablish their brand, get 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 their message and their brand on people's minds again throughout throughout America. Yeah, so they're going to team up with Conor McGregor, <laughs> the MMA champion. Yes, the mixed martial arts champion. Yeah, and they're just going to kind of reinforce this is a this is a dude's beer, mm-hmm. and so you know they're gonna, they're going to have him. Uh, he's going to tour around. And he's basically going to insist that that's all he drinks. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he, he he's going to smash bottles on his head <laughs> uh-huh. and throw bottles at people. And just in general, reinforce that this is a man's beer made with rice. <laughs> uh, okay. I guess that makes sense. Um, yeah. Could, uh, now, Connor, Connor does uh, find himself in uh, trouble at times. Yeah, so does Budweiser. <laughs> I guess that's a marriage made in heaven, I suppose. Thank you, Jack. We're sorry. <laughs> Jack. Brian. So, you know how it's nice to make money with your podcast? Yeah, big time. You know obituaries when people die? Yeah, super sad. Yeah, well, there's money to be made in reading obituaries. I don't know if you knew that, but obituary reading, uh, there's a lot of money to be made. And so what happens is these these funeral homes will come to me and say, listen, we've got this uh, obituary. They would love to have it read on the podcast and we will pay you if you treat it with dignity and respect. Great. This is fantastic. Great work, Brian. Thank you. So what they did was they sent me uh, some obituaries and I just need you to read them. They don't want me to read them because I'm, I'm too much of a professional voice. They want like the everyman voice that mm. you offer. Mm-hmm. And uh, we all they're looking for is dignity and respect and we get paid. Well, that's, that's easy. I'm a, I'm a dignified man. I'm could not be more respectful. I'm sorry for these people's loss of whatever I can do. All right. Well, I'm sending you the script right now. Okay. And it just whooshed over there. And what they want you to do is to, to read it right off the bat. Cause we're in the funeral business. You know, there's no time to kind of be rehearsing your grief. It's gotta be raw and real. Yeah. I mean, there's, I mean, there's a day or two after the person dies, I think. Right. Now you really got to get it out there as soon as possible. Okay. I guess so. So, I mean, can I, can I just give it a, like a, just a two minute read? Uh, no, I w- they would prefer if you just read it right away. In fact, it's disqualifying if you, if you, you know, what they call cheat by reading an obituary before just getting it out there in the world. Okay. Um, well then I'll honor it cause I want to make money. So it can't be that hard. All right. Uh, let me know when you get the script. Okay. I certainly will. Am I in your spam folder again? Hey, Brian, I got it. You got it. I got it. I have it. I've have never read this before in my life. I'm ready to go. Okay. I'm going to give you some funeral music and you just need to be, remember, dignity, respect. Okay. Take it away. Thank you. Irving Maximus Rothwell of Brooklyn, New York was called to the great proletarian paradise on Thursday. He was 78. Irving was a cherished figure in the realm of Marxist children's literature. His works charmed young readers and brought a unique communistic perspective to storytelling. Irving's captivating narrative sought to inspire young minds, simultaneously entertaining and challenging conventional, mo- conventional modes of thought. They included, quote, the revolutionary adventures of Comrade Claudius and the proletariat puppies. In this allegorical tale, Irving delved into the exploits of a fearless canine collective battling against the oppressive forces of bourgeois ideology. Through witty dialogues and daring escapades, he cleverly explored themes of class struggle and unity, ensuring that young minds would ponder the nuances of societal structures. 
The Great Red Nursery Rhyme Revolution cunningly repurposed traditional nursery rhymes to convey messages of collective consciousness and communal progress. From Humpty Dumpty's Uprising to Jack and Jill's quest for equitable water access, these rhymes sought to awaken children's imaginations and foster a sense of societal responsibility that these young readers might one day rise to save the world, or at the very least, denounce their Kulak parents. The Marxist Menagerie, a tale of workers and revolution in the animal kingdom, was a captivating story that transported readers into a parallel universe where animals organized themselves to overthrow their imperialist human overlords. Though through colorful characters and a touch of anthropomorphic anthropomorphic charm, he slightly explored themes of exploitation, equality, and the pursuit of a utopian society through tremendous bloodshed. It is crucial to note that Irving's intent was always to stimulate critical thinking and provoke thought, provoking discussions. His works invited readers to question the status quo and consider alternative perspectives. And if you disagree, you are hate speech. Funeral services will be held this Saturday at the Eternal Resting Grounds of Revolutionary Souls, an empty lot on Hornsby Street next to Taco Bell. Damn. We can't possibly build them for that. I'm, I'm sorry, Brian, the proletariat puppies. Yeah. You know, you got to get the kids young. We've learned that. Yeah. You got to get them young. Got to get in their brains. Yeah. Some tough words in there to read cold. (laughs) Yeah. You know, I understand. Anthropomorphic is a toughie. Anthropomorphic. Gosh. Uh, That's all right. We've got other ones. We have other potential sponsors. Okay. Funeral homes. That's not a problem. I'm going to make a ton of money on this one for us. I'm going to I do just, so good on this that they're they're going to kill other members of their family just to have me read their obituaries. I just sent you uh, a second obituary for you to to read. Okay. With dignity and respect. Obviously, Brian. Okay, I just got it. I've never read this before. Okay. Uh, I'm going to give you some funeral music, but I will fade it out uh, if you start losing your cool, your dignity, and your respect. It's not going to happen, so don't worry about it. You can take this. You can take the next three minutes off. All right. Sunny D passed away Monday at Guilford Falls Assisted Living and Laundry. <laughs> she was 98. Sunny was known for her radiant smile and infectious laughter, and she embodied the very essence of joy and positivity. Until around 2003, when sugary orange piss water, Sunny Delight, changed their name to Sunny D. <laughs> Thus robbing the real Sunny, the human God-fearing Sunny, of her name and identity, while simultaneously showering the world in orange chemical splooge, those fuckers. <laughs> Friends and loved ones remember Sunny D, and that Sunny D spelled D-E-E, you orange puke pushing shits, as a beacon of light, always ready to spread warmth and kindness to those around her. Little did Sonny know that the name she was known for, uh, known by for 78 marvelous years, would suddenly become forever intertwined with a mass marketed dismal sugar syrup that would ultimately lead to the unraveling of her happiness and type 2 diabetes for countless fans of Neon Sunslop. 
Sonny, as lovely a person as there ever was, was pushed aside for the false promise of a taste of sunshine in every sip of that phony vitamin potion. While captivating the imaginations of millions with a cheerful jingle, vibrant packaging, and the promise of a delightful experience from that artificial tangy swill, the unintended consequence (laughs) was the overshadowing of the real-life Sunny D as her identity became inextricably linked to this cloying citrus sludge. Sunny's vibrant personality was diluted, totally overshadowed by the commercial imagery that now defined her in the eyes of many. Sunny spent the last 20 years of her life asking, Why me? Why Sunny D? That's with a D-E-E, you arrogant shits. Friends and relatives know all too well her two decades of distress at becoming less an individual and more an unwitting spokesperson for a faux fruit-flavored quicksand. With each passing day, Sunny felt her true self fade into the background, consumed by the very product that bore her original name. She sadly died, but a shell of herself. She leaves behind four children and eight grandchildren. Last October, she lost her dear husband, Diddly D. All right. Come on. All right. You ready? Type two diabetes for countless fans of neon sunslop. I mean, but I need like, I can't read that cold and not chuckle. That's it almost feels like it's written for me to fail. Yeah, me too. Okay. That was tough, man. Right. I'm sorry. Good. Right. Great. Third chance. Three it's, times is the charm, as they say. Yeah. The way you started that makes it sound like you have no confidence in me. You know, it's hard because I keep, you know, fingers crossing and then it just doesn't happen. I just sent it to you. You have it in seconds because of the internet. The internet's pretty amazing. It is pretty great. Okay. Just keep checking your email. All right. It pops in there. God, I miss poor old Sunny D. Okay, I just got it. All Sunny right, I've, I've never read this. Poor Sunny D. All right. All right. Dignity and respect, sir. Uh, okay, Brian. Thank you. I'm okay. going to give you some music. All right. Stockton Rush died unexpectedly last week after a brief descent. He was 61. A fearless explorer who embarked on incredible journeys throughout his life. With a spirit as vibrant as a rainbow and a heart full of wonder, Stockton lived his days seeking thrilling adventures and telling experts to screw themselves. Sadly, his latest escapade took an unexpected turn, and he has left us far too soon. Stockton's passion for discovery led him to the depths of the ocean. With wide-eyed excitement and an unwavering sense of curiosity, he delved into the mysterious unknown beneath the waves. He was awed by the depths of the ocean and always quite intrigued by cracks in the glass. Stockton's adventurous spirit remained unyielding, even in the face of adversity or cracks in the glass. He never lost his childlike enthusiasm for the wonders that awaited him beneath the sea. Wonders that he was happy to share with others. Stockton was happiest when he could point past the cracks in the glass to show his... To show his guests an ocean of mystery and awe, so breathtaking it could only be matched by a spontaneous implosion. (laughs) Stockton's memory will forever be etched in the hearts of those who knew him. He taught us to embrace every moment and approach life's challenges with a twinkle in our eyes. 
His infectious laughter and joyful spirit brought smiles to countless faces, leaving an indelible mark on the world around him, and especially about 1,600 feet from the Titanic. (laughs) There will be no funeral service as Stockton was spontaneously laid to rest. Did I, I, did I get it? You you know, you know the answer to that. Okay. I don't have to tell you. All right. We couldn't possibly ask them to pass for that. uh, That was not the dignity and respect that I was hoping Stockton would get. I, oops, I hit the microphone. I'm so upset. I, I, very hard. I'm very sad for Stockton and his family. Yeah. His customers and everything. Yeah. (laughs) His customers. That's right. Well, shoot. Uh, well, hopefully next time, Brian, I, I would love to start turning a profit on this thing. Maybe we'd record more often. <laughs> we can try that. Okay. I've heard that's a good thing to do. Yeah. Yeah. We should certainly do that. get a lot of emails encouraging us to do that. We love those emails. Oh, we do. do well, Brian, uh, you know, this has gone on long enough. Uh, this yeah. brings to close another exciting episode of questionable material with Jack and Brian and Brian. Yep. I, if you, when you play back, you'll hear that I said that part. Questionable material with Jack and Brian. Subscribe on any podcast platform. Watch our clips on YouTube. Visit us at qmpodcast.com. 